Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 6. In today's episode, we will touch upon the importance of mental health, both in everyday life and the field of pharmacy. In this episode, we will be interviewing the mental health counselor of the College of Pharmacy. Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Daniels, who will be interviewed by Jobin. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Capsule Production Podcast. I'm your host, Joven Lazo, speaking, third year student at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy, Lake Nona campus. And I am here with Dr. Daniels. Hello, how are you? <laughs> so please introduce yourself to everybody that's listening. All right, well, hello and uh, everyone who is joining us. My name is Dr. Philip Daniels, and I am the counselor that is embedded with the College of Pharmacy uh, based out of Gainesville, but I uh, travel to Jacksonville and Orlando to serve uh, the remote students uh, and the like, well, the pharmacy students that are in the remote campuses. Awesome. So, for our first question today, what are some ways to identify if someone has a mental health disorder? So, I'm thinking in terms of when we think about who has a mental disorder, that question in general can kind of be, well, who doesn't have a mental disorder? Mm-hmm. Because, especially like when we were being uh, trained in like our diagnosing class like diagnosis and treatment you would go through all these criteria between all the mental like disorders and it was always kind of a common joke but also like seriousness of where you could identify with one or more of each of those criteria so I say this not uh, lightly or to make a joke out of it but in reality um, anybody you know can have a mental disorder it's just into effect of how is it impacting our daily living um, how is it impacting our social life, our relationships, our work life? Um, we look at like that biopsychosocial kind of spectrum. Okay. And when we look at, like in specific here, ways to identify if someone has a mental disorder. So what you're going to be looking at is obviously their mood, but not outside of the context of their personality. Because some people are just more low-key, more people are high, like, energy, so... And that could be kind of hard to tell at, at first sight. Exactly. So it's like, I'm not going to just put judgment on somebody, oh, he's depressed because he's quiet and in a corner. Uh-huh. You know, he might just be an introvert who's shy. Yeah, you know, makes sense. It doesn't necessarily mean he's depressed. Or you may see somebody who's, you know, uh, fidgeting and more talkative and, and loud and, oh, they must be anxious, you know? So that in itself mm-hmm. is kind of, you're labeling with these judgment laden type of labels per se. So what I always look at to identify if someone has a mental disorder, we always look at for one, uh, the impact on functionality. So, uh, again, going back down to the, to the basics, how okay. are you functioning interpersonally, like re- relationships and with self? So our, and then the danger. So we talk about like the D's, like, are, is your behavior dangerous, deadly, deviant, destructive, distressful? Um, all of these D words kind okay. of imply behaviors that are not healthy. Um, other areas that we could look at is losing touch with reality. Now we're going into the side of psychosis. Um, on the other side of the t- spectrum, it could be how uh, how do we and how do we not cope, you know, with different situations in life or going into addictions that maybe we cope through substances. So any one of these on a full spectrum can have some type of, quote, you know, mental health disorder. 
anything from the mood to the psychosis to substance. Okay. Um, but in reality, again, we want to look at the criteria. That's going to kind of give us a foundation. We look at functionality. We look at impact, you know, on life. Um, and we also look at just kind of the system that they're involved with. All of those kind of things in general can help, you know, decipher if there's a mental, you know, diagnosis. But like, you know, and we all know in, uh, as in pharmacy, you can't do a blood test. Exactly. You know, for some of and these I things. And I think that's the toughest part yeah. for us is to be able to identify what someone's going through, especially if you have a short interaction with them. If it's a random patient that just comes in Absolutely. versus someone that's been visiting your pharmacy. Absolutely. And so that's where we have to be very careful and cautious of when we do pass judgment based on a quick interaction that's limited in content mm-hmm. uh, and context. So we may have a quirky feature or maybe we think something is funny that the other person, whatever the case may be, we may leave that situation being like, were they even in reality with us? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, or may, I don't know. So I, I don't want to sound trite about that, but that's really, we have to watch our own bias when we're talking about identifying if somebody has a mental disorder. I usually would tend to flip this to, to how do I identify if I have a mental disorder mm, okay. versus trying to put that judgment onto somebody else. But of course, you know, depending upon the, the type of profession. I mean, hell, I'm in the profession where I have to identify if there's a mental disorder. Yes. Um, so I can see both sides of it. But as a professional and as a personal, we want to be aware that it's multifaceted. It's not usually simple. It's usually complex. And multiple um, layers. Yeah, multiple layers, different uh, factors that play into it. Okay. And I think that's interesting that you say that because a lot of times especially with us students, there can be stress. Mm -hmm. So we look at something and might relate it to stress versus they're actually going through something more serious. Mm -hmm. So going through the, the D's, like you said, like you, you mentioned destructive, dangerous, would those be kind of like warning signs you would, you would kind of use to alert yourself that maybe this person's going through something more significant than just a Mm -hmm. normal stressful environment that they're in right now? Because it, yeah. it's, it's not like we can't live life without stress. Absolutely. No, I mean, stress is what kind of promotes us further. Mm-hmm. And that's in biology, that's in psychology. You you approach a stressful situation, you overcome it, you now accomplish it, you've grown from it. Some people, they hit stress and it debilitates them yeah. and, it, and, it, and it just self-destructs. So I don't say that in the sense of like... Um, the uh, what's the word like the the that's the final word on it because everything that I am saying could be very much wrong. That's yes. the the humility that I do have. But when we think about like stress in general, there is going to be a balance. There's going to be this point where, and I mentioned this um, even when I talk with the students in orientation of what might be stressful for one student might be a breeze for another, so we can't like exactly. compare one another. However, we do want to take into account, let's say, about like drinking, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're all going out one weekend, and and we all, you know, we all have an exam coming up, but I'm over here just pounding them back. And people are like, that's usually not that's, like him. Yeah, you know, we all like, have a drink, yeah. but it's not like I'm getting just belligerent. Especially before drunk. an exam. Exactly. <laughs> so then I might look 
wow, is this a normal thing? Did I recognize that maybe the past three exams the night before I go out and just get completely plastered? Well, maybe that's the way that I'm coping with the stress of the Mm -hmm. exam. That might impair, maybe I drive home and get a DUI. Maybe I black out and you have to get my stomach pumped. Who knows? These are when it becomes dysfunctional, dangerous, when there could be underlying stuff at play. Okay. Um, Also looking at patterns of how you dealt with stress previously. You know, in in other areas of your life, also evolutionary. You know, how did you deal with the stresses of high school? How did you deal with the stresses of undergrad? How are you dealing with the stresses of family? How do you deal with the stress of school? So there could be some uh, factors that are common throughout that could be indicative of maybe an underlying anxiety disorder or a, you know, um, mood disorder. Okay. So in any instances that we're starting to notice these warning signs in a friend or a patient or a colleague, what would you recommend that we do? So first off, it would begin with communication, and that's communication to the person. It's not, I mean, in certain, certain situations, you might have to communicate to somebody else beyond them before you address them, but that's in very, very few like in rare occasions. Do you mean as far as like a higher authority? Yeah. So like in general, you want to approach the person. You don't, you know, if, if you and Jane are working together and you feel that Jane has an issue, well, you're going to want to address it with Jane and, and see what's going on. Check in with her. Use that human element and communication versus just going to the boss and saying, oh, Jane has a problem. I think she's on drugs. And then... Yeah. You know, here she, and again, that's what I mean. This isn't a 100% across the board answer because there very well may become a time that you need to go around go and, and make a direct report. Um, it, you know, if patient life, it, that can be a whole nother conversation. But in general, if you see a person struggling and you can see a marked difference in either their daily performance or in their hygiene or their you know, uh, their mood at work or their interaction with patients, those may be moments that to check in. Could they have had a stressful day and that's it? Absolutely. Could they have woken up and their dog died? Absolutely. Could they have just gotten a call on while they're working that something bad happened and it throws them out? Absolutely. Or there could be underlying stress, grief, dysfunction, anxiety, any of these things. So really, the long story short is using that aspect of humanity to just connect with the individual and check in with them. You're not there to diagnose them. You're not there to to discipline them. You're literally just checking in with them. And then seeing whatever comes out of that conversation, then there might be you know extra steps to take. But just knowing that you can talk to one another, that's also going to impact the work type of environment. So without getting way too off track, it also speaks to the culture of the environment that you're working in. Can you just walk up and address and talk to your colleague? Or is it this kind of professional barrier that you don't show any weakness, you know, or any slight aspect that you're vulnerable, you know? So that end all be all, it would be connect reach out, communicate. And I think as pharmacists and future pharmacists, this is something that our curriculum has preached and something that you've probably practiced while working as far as expressing empathy Mm -hmm. when dealing with patients and colleagues, Mm -hmm. as far as being personable, loving, and caring. And these are the kind of attributes I feel like you're 
telling us that we need to display while we communicate with these individuals Absolutely. in order to better help the situation they're in. Yes, because emp- you know, empathy does not negate uh, accountability mm-hmm. or respectability. You see what I'm saying? You can still, you know, it doesn't give you a, a free card or an excuse not to perform or to take care of whatever your responsibility is with whatever context that you're working. However, it does, um, it does allow for that kind of, uh, I th- to me, in my personal uh, opinion, is it allows for that extra sense of genuine care. That, okay, yeah, we are colleagues. We might not be best friends outside of here. We might not even know each other outside of these mm-hmm. walls. But in here, we are together, and I do care about your well-being. And so that's where, by uh, extending that empathy, you really are allowing that connection to happen versus just being, you seem to be off your job today, and, and, and uh, I don't know what your problem is, but you really need to step it up. Yeah. That's not going to be as helpful as... You know, I've noticed some, you know, and even some, working some in a, stuff is and off. Yeah. Now I was going to say, even working in a situation like that, you touched on that earlier, that probably won't help their condition or whatever feelings they're having at the time, being in, a, in an environment where they don't feel safe Absolutely. to be able to communicate with colleagues and maybe higher authority mm-hmm. about certain situations. And they probably already know that they're off their game. <laughs> so to have somebody come and shame them like that's not exactly. going to help. And there may be sometimes, well, maybe they're not cognizant that, you know, they're slacking in some areas. So to have somebody... Um, come in and check in. You know, it's not. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to be aware of the language that I use too, even in this conversation, uh, because you want to. You're not checking on them. You're checking in with, with them. You know, so that's where I think that you know, uh, empathy definitely is a component of that. Thank you. And for our next question, what is the stigma behind mental health disorders, and how can we overcome it as pharmacists? That's a good question. I think that it's it's loaded in the regard that there's many factors that are in there. So I'm going to try to keep it as condensed as I can with also the, um, the possibility that I'm not going to be able to cover it all because there could be some other unseen things that I'm aware, unaware of. But for one, I think there is the stigma that um, weakness, deficit... Um, something wrong, you know, you can't be a professional if you struggle from, you know, X, Y, and Z. So just the simple fact of when you think about a pharmacist who suffers from schizophrenia, does that even sound comforting? No. So right then and there, that implies a stigma. So right in that moment, as we're sitting here, and I say it again, a pharmacist who struggles from schizophrenia Probably not going to go see that pharmacist. You probably want it. So a a pharmacist who struggles with depression, same thing, but it's even not as pushing it on the spectrum of, oh my goodness, psychosis. You know, like these scary words that media and movies and just society in general has kind of um, applied this notion of fear. And it's almost like the extreme component of maybe whatever disorders that we see like in the movies. We see something like traumatizing where they hurt themselves or hurt other people Mm -hmm. where it may not be that extreme in this individual person. Absolutely. So it can be, yeah. So that's kind of like we think about like split, you know, now we're talking about the movie split Mm -hmm. with glass, you know, like seven different personalities, split personalities. Um, one character had exactly. And so it, how it, 
promotes the inact. That's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> the point, though, is you're exactly right. You sometimes get these images and ideas of what something may be, when in reality, it's really nothing like that. So, not on. So that's one. The the issue of like. I wouldn't want to admit it because it can show either weakness or deficit or inability. The other area would be this kind of professional or even personal distance as like a defense mechanism that behind the counter you're in a power position in the sense that you are the ones controlling what's going in and out of that uh, pharmacy. And so you will have clients or patients that come up who have these disorders so there is this kind of defense that like, how am I going to treat the person that I have the same thing for, you know, and, and that's a kind of a weird thing. I know as counselors, it can, it can sometimes be a um, awkward moment when we, we are humans too, and we may yes. experience depression or anxiety or schizophrenia. And then how do we actually work with somebody? So this idea of how can I work with somebody if I can't fix myself? You see, so it's like, yeah. well, how now with pills, it's a little bit different because you can, here's the drug, take it versus having to sit there um, and, and talk it all out. But talking is a component of your profession as well when you're doing patient counseling and exactly. medication, you know, counseling. So I think that that has that personal impact uh, that has a stigma behind it. I didn't think about that. With that, again, this is where I'm, that's what I mean by mm -hmm. I might not be hitting them all. I'm just sitting here kind of thinking globally. So I'm glad that you mentioned that you never even thought mm -hmm. about that because that, for counselors, that's a stigma per se. You know, if, how can we do that? So there's that. There's the issue of um, just in general of competency, you know, if I don't trust myself enough that my life, you know, if I'm suicidal per se. And I have to be uh, committed to get the help that I need. There's a sense of control. And so with that sense of control, I don't know if there's a stigma that's saying that, wow, um, I, at the end of the day, I can't help myself. And so I need to go and get the help that I need. So if a person gets to this place and they deny the fact that they need the help, I think that that can also open up this kind of area that's a that can fester into something greater, Yeah. you know, that's like, it, it can just cycle out of control. So when the addiction first started, maybe it was depression. Now it turns into addiction. And if I never get any help mm -hmm. for that, you see, now I can lose my license. I can get in trouble. I can do all this other stuff. So I think that the stigma also comes from these other taboo areas that we don't really want to talk about as a society, let alone as a person within a profession that is a highly regarded profession that's a highly successful profession. So to admit that, you know, I'm struggling with this, this, or that can feel like a defeat or um, not being competent, I guess. So. Yes, I can see that. And definitely because it's so hard as humans to not compare yourself to others. And when you realize that you do have a certain mental health disorder or issue compared to others who don't, you might feel like you're failing mm -hmm. at life or you might feel... You might attack yourself and feel like you are personally not capable of doing this great of a job and being as great as this coworker or this so-called friend because they're not dealing with this issue. But maybe at the same time they are, mm -hmm. and you just don't know it. Absolutely. So I never really looked at it from the pharmacist or the professional perspective, more so at the patient or the friend perspective. Mm -hmm. Because looking at it, 
in that way, it's, oh, there's people who have issues. For me, I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's just stress and now it's escalating. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're looking for an excuse. I feel like growing up, that was kind of like the stigma that was around the area that I grew up. Where a lot of people who had mental health disorders, like, oh, they just use it as an excuse to get mm -hmm. away with things. Yep. They didn't want to go to school today. They want to get a check. They don't yeah. want to work. Well, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the other. That also goes into a whole racial kind of stigma yeah. side of it. But I think that what you're also talking about is that there is this lack of trust. Like, that was where I was kind of going on that tangent of, like, if I have to be committed, that means that I am not trusted to keep myself safe. Mm -hmm. So then there's this stigma that with mental health or mental disorders that you can't trust that person because if they can't – how can you trust them if they can't even be trusted to keep themselves alive? That's where this stigma then comes in. And so what we're looking at is like a deficit type model versus looking at the strengths and looking at the resilience and looking at all the other times that the individual has been able to survive and persevere. But yet we sometimes get trapped in thinking and, and, and focusing on the one moment that they were at their weakest and always and forever that's what they're going to be. Oh, they were the ones that got committed. You know, and so this... Versus looking at, they had an entire lifetime that they had to survive, and yes. now we're gonna like hold them and never accountable for this one. Yeah, and, and and so that's where it just, as a society, even in professional, like when we think about like the medical model, that's why in counseling we look, we work with the wellness model, and that's a whole nother conversation as well. <laughs> so again, you can see I can go on and on and on about this. So all right, keep going. Thank you. And the next question I have for you is regarding a survey that I read on the Pharmacy Times. They mentioned that about 62% of the pharmacists that they interviewed, I believe it was 212 pharmacists that they interviewed or surveyed, were happy with their pay. And only 51% were actually happy with their job. And some of the reasons they listed were in regards to their workload, their management, and their work-life balance. So my question for you is, what are some healthy ways for us to cope with work-related stress and improve our mental well-being to prevent this so-called burnout that you hear is common in pharmacy? Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's a highly, um, a highly important question to ponder, but it is a difficult one to answer because for as many individuals we have on this earth, or I should say for as many um, uh, pharmacists, pharmacists we have, that's how many answers we can have for that per se. And the reason is, is because again, going back to what works for you might not work for another, you know, the other person. Mm -hmm. So self-care, you know, it might be uh, finishing your shift and, and going out on a boat and fishing, you know, before I come home, before I have family, I need to just relax. Let me go throw my cast and reel and woosah and decompress. Okay. Well, the, the colleague that I work with, maybe for fishing, it's the most, they get seasick. They can't stand the smell of fish. They hate it altogether. And it's the most miserable thing ever. So that would not be a very good self care yeah. kind of thing. So that's my point in you have to find what works for yourself. You also have to look at what areas in your life that need to either be uh, shifted around based on uh, need, interest, and desires. You know, and you know, there's the need and the wants and everything's come in there. So we need to work. We want to pay your bills. We need to have shelter uh, to survive. So there's these other areas. Where can we have fun? A lot of times in life, and especially as an adult, we forget literally they were still able to have fun. And that might sound a little cheesy or trite, but like 
fun can mediate a lot of issues, especially when it comes down to communications and the relationships between people. So when I look at this question, I'm like, well, what are some ways that we can do this? It's literally thinking about where do you find joy? What are ways that you can incorporate um, fun into a culture that's kind of sterile? And Maybe even the work environment. That's the point. Yeah, mm -hmm. like you work in a sterile environment, that but how can we incorporate some fun per se? Professional, you know, within, yes. you know, being appropriate, you know, per se. But when I think about uh, our own mental health, again, it goes back to looking at our social supports looking back at our needs, where are we getting our needs for fun, for belonging, for survival, um, for love, looking at um, our own hobbies. So there is this issue of being relational, but there also is an issue of being personal. You know, sometimes we get caught up uh, in life, being in a marriage, being with family, being single, whatever the case may be, but we may forget the me time. And that's not being selfish. There, you know, there's a there's a boundary to that and everything in moderation. But there is a component where, what do you need for yourself to rejuvenate, to restore, to revitalize, to to go forward? You know, if you just are draining yourself, draining yourself, draining yourself, you're going like just like a battery in a car, you're going to run out of fuel, and then you'll be no good for anybody. So you have to look at some of these aspects that may be spiritual physical nature whatever the case may be you have to find what works for you and what's time. your happy yeah and you have to make that a priority that's talk is cheap i have so many people tell me i i want i want i should i should i i could like, none of that matters until i hear you saying this is what i'm doing and this is why and this is how and this is what it's doing for me that's when the you know that's when it matters making it a priority not just a dream not just a wish making it a priority how you make it a priority is up to you some people like working out in the morning some people like to work out in the middle of the night that's you to figure out mm -hmm. but it, it it's also you to take that seriousness to invest in yourself just as much as you invest in others and that's, I think that last line is very key for pharmacists, is mm -hmm. that we spend so much time investing in others that sometimes we forget to invest in ourselves. Absolutely. So just to be mindful, like I personally, I'm a big movie fan, so mm -hmm. I'll try to watch a movie once a week or I read books. Mm -hmm. So that's something I try to do personally every day. I don't care how busy I am. I have to do something fun. Absolutely. Because I will go insane if I don't. Yeah. So is there anything that you personally like to do that kind of help you cope with stress? Yeah, I mean, I think for me... Um, I mean, honestly, it is. I The outdoors is what kind of recharges me. But it, there are times, honestly, some solitude mm -hmm. where I am with people all day long. As much as I want to always be with people, per se, there is a moment where I just need silence. In that silence, I'm sitting in my own thoughts. Uh, but going back to that really is kind of a, a place of restoration, uh, spiritually, um, mentally, physically, if I, you know, there, that's another piece working out. Yes. Um, that's always a benefit that although it's kind of like a thing where I'm like, I really don't want to do this, <laughs> but I do it. And then afterwards I'm like, okay, I'm glad I did that. There are socializations. I know with my family, that's another component. 
Now, of course, sometimes they are the cause of my stress, so then I have to balance that out. Like, okay, <laughs> check out from that for a moment. Meditation, praying, those are the kinds of... For me, I'm in a place where it's... With what I deal with, I can sometimes struggle with feeling helpless because, you know, unlike being able to have the knowledge to say, oh, these are your symptoms, this is what you need. Take this. Sometimes I can't do that. Because obviously I'm not a mind reader. I'm not that powerful. And so sometimes I leave sessions feeling pretty helpless because I'm like, well, dang, I can't take away that pain. I can't take away that experience. I can't take away whatever that may be. And so with that, I have to leave and I sit with this feeling. But then knowing that's when I just go to higher power. I'm like, all right, God, like that's out of my control. Mm -hmm. So that's where I find some solace and some restoration. So yeah, I can go on and on and on, but at the end of the day, having fun, even if that's just joking around, playing around, kicking a ball around, playing with a dog, you know, there's all different ways that you can find to have fun dancing um, and just playing, literally playing. Like when I think about being an adult, it's like, well, how do I play? You know, and when I worked with kids for many years, you would find these ways that's like, wow so simple and it's just they're having an amazing time so i have to remind myself of that the simplicity of that i can at times yeah that i can literally have fun in simple times so i think with the nature with uh prayer with fun and overall if you're catching the theme it's intentionally designating time making the time mm-hmm because I could say, oh, I should pray. Oh, I should work out. Oh, I should go with friends. Oh, I should hang out. Oh, I should ha- read a book for fun. Should, 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 should. That's what we call shitting on one, you know, shitting mm-hmm. on yourself or others. Mm-hmm. Because should doesn't do anything. So it's intentionally making time. It's intentionally setting boundaries. Do some days that change? Absolutely. Stuff happens. But again, it's that mind frame and mindset that just as much as my clients and patients deserve to be cared for, loved on, uh, you know, helping to heal, so do I. But I don't get that from my clients. That's a whole, you know, you don't, you don't reach out to your patients. To, so that's where we have to dig within ourselves and our own support network, our own family, our own higher power, whatever that is for you we have to intentionally do that. And in school, sometimes it doesn't feel that way because school isn't really made up for, oh, let's have a mental health day. (laughs) You know, school is kind of like a reality of hell where it's just this... It's a reality check. Yeah, because it's this constant dread, this constant evaluation, this constant fear of failure, this constant fear of, you know, am I doing the right thing? And point being... There does come a point in time where you will burn out, where you will hit a wall, where you will feel like you're just in this deep, dark place and you don't know where to go next. And so that's really why it's important and imperative that you take the time to honor yourself, but also uh, give yourself permission to have some moments of reprieve, to rejuvenate and to revitalize yourself. And so that's where I mean... Uh, it's truly a practice. It's not just a, I'm going to write it on my board today and hope that it happens. You really have to invest in yourself, just like you invest in education and everything else. Definitely. And that's something 
that even as pharmacists, we know we can tell a patient or counsel or recommend something to a patient, but it's up to them to still do it. Absolutely. So it's up to us in order to be respectful to ourselves, honor ourselves, and take the time and be willing to recharge and refuel our batteries. And thus, that will make us better at what we do every day because we Absolutely. will be enjoying it better. Absolutely. And hopefully the 51% can be higher. Absolutely. Because that's the other thing that if, if you're looking at those statistics in general, you can honestly see a true testament that money does not buy happiness. Yes. You can make good money and still be miserable as all get out. And that's a, a, a sad place to be. Exactly. A very, very sad place. And then lastly, for all of those individuals that are listening right now, what are some of the ways for us to find help? Do you have any recommendations as far as apps, websites, call centers, maybe local resources here in Orlando that we can use to find help? So uh, this one I was actually thinking about even before this interview. I was like, okay, I want to make sure I have this right like answer. So honestly, um, the, the, the references or resources per se are bound, boundless. Like you're going to have them when you seek them. So a lot of times that I... A lot of a lot of what I hear is I don't know where to go for when I'm feeling this or I don't know who to talk to when I'm going through this. And it's like, oh, OK, so I can see that there is sometimes this feeling that there's nobody that can help me. But in reality, there is. Okay. So starting out with um, literally, I don't need, you know, when you go through like a decision tree or what have you. But one of the first places to start out is with general practitioner. If that's the only type of medical person that you have in general starting out with them to tell them, I just don't feel, you know, something's not right. Um, you know, either it being sad or anxiety or psych whatever the case may be. So that's a starting point to get a referral to either a counselor or a psychiatrist. The second component would be looking at employee assistance programs uh, when, once you're in the profession and seeing what type of mental health counseling is provided through your employer. The third one is going to be through insurance. Unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, managed care is a reality that we have to deal with now. So it's not, you know, it's it's not what it used to be in the sense of you can just go in and get whatever you want for an entire year. It's like now, okay, well, what are we treating? And here you're going to get so long. So looking at insurance panels to see your options there. Looking when you're in school, taking advantage of the services that are provided from the school and the resources that are provided. Uh, the apps per se, there are like Calm, Insight, those two are highly recommended. Sleep Timer, um, I cannot go through a full list of apps because that's how many there are. So there are free and there are paid. There are ones that are specific for relaxation. There are other ones that are more technique based. So depending on what you're feeling and uh, experiencing, you want to be aware of there are different types. For websites, a shameless plug, but of course, like with the CWC, the Counseling and Wellness Center, uh, that is a website that even other universities use because you can find, you can just Google it for one, but we have resources that go into speaking about mindfulness, meditation, more information about applications. There are videos. YouTube has it. I can't tell you how many times that I've actually thought to myself and given uh, references to client or resources to clients that have come through YouTube. And I'm like, well, why do I even have a job? Because here <laughs> it is all on, you know, uh, the internet. So YouTube and SoundCloud have good, um, resources for meditations, progressive relaxation techniques when you're dealing with anxiety, 
Uh, they also have for guided imagery, same thing. Like These are issues that you can look at for studying, for sleep, for relaxation, for focus. You could go specific, you know, of uh, uh, content or topic specific on YouTube and SoundCloud. That's the cool thing with them. You can look up these things. Other than that, when it's a dire emergency, so here's all those good things. When it's a dire emergency and you don't know what to do, of course that's where you're going to want to call 911. Um, in that regard, that's going to be life or death. You don't know what to do next. That one would get you an, emer an immediate uh, response, and that would be looking into like law enforcement to be coming to serve you and getting you where you need to be. Uh, it can be a scary, you know, moment, but that's the dire, you know, end all uh, option. And the next options, of course, if it's a, you know, non, uh, let's say if it's non-life-threatening, life or death, uh, so there wouldn't necessarily be a need to call 911. If you are a student for UF, then the Counseling and Wellness Center, we have a 24-hour crisis line that can at least get you to a position of knowing what to do next. And that sometimes might be call 911, or it might be setting up an appointment uh, to speak with a counselor at the Counseling and Wellness Center. That phone number is 352-392-1575. And again, that's 352-392-1575 to reach the CWC, or other known as the Counseling and Wellness Center of UF. Now, any other person that's listening, or even a student that's uh, part of UF, the Alachua County Crisis Center, that's a uh, nationwide uh, or a nationwide or nation uh, awarded like uh, center that a lot of individuals come to that even if they're out of state, they just Google like, I need to talk to somebody, I'm in crisis, and they get this line. And so the phone number for the Alachua County Crisis Center is going to be 352-264-6789. Again, that's 352 264-6789. Just keep in mind um, that these are only two numbers out of hundreds of thousands of different numbers and resources available. So look at your local uh, county crisis line, look at your state crisis line uh, and emergency numbers uh, to keep them handy if you ever find yourself in the need or somebody else in the need. Other than that, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Please be sure to tune into our next episode where we'll be interviewing Dr. St. Ange. With it, we'll be discussing her career path into academia, and we will also touch upon her roles as assistant dean and a clinical professor. Until next time. <laughs>